When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Growing Up Rock Podcast with Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Anyway, I've been playing bass for about, oh geez, over 40 years really, which is a long ass time. And uh, so I'm an old man, but I'm, the good thing about being an old man is that uh, I saw Hendrix play, so... I'll trade being an old man for the fact that I saw Jimmy play. But I played about, uh, God, well over 3,000, probably pushing 4,000 gigs, which I think is the most important thing because playing live and performing is really the final test of everything and anything you're going to learn on this hunk of wood. You know, a lot of people get into lessons and talking and instructional things like, oh, these magazines do all the time. But uh, the real practical application of it is actually when you're on deck on stage, live, the band is playing, it's cranking. When you can make it happen there, that's really the final test. For me, uh, a lot of great scales and uh, abstract information is interesting, but unless you can really bring it home to, to utilize it in a live performance and make it really come off uh, and work, it's uh, not really of any value to me for the most part. Hollywood, we are celebrating the Thanking the Great series again this week. And so if you're not familiar with the Thanking the Great series that we do here at Grown Up Rock, we like to celebrate an artist, a producer, a songwriter, a manager, pretty much any single person that has to do with the music business and music that we grew up with loving. So tonight's Thanking the Great series focuses on a bass player Hold your bass player jokes, because there are tons of bass player jokes out there. I'm sure this guy doesn't fit that description. We're talking about the great Billy Sheen here tonight. Yeah, it's a shame that Billy didn't get off the ground. We'll talk about Talos a little bit. He's been around a long time. And really, you know, if you ask people, do you know anything about Billy Sheehan? Most folks in our circles will say the first time they heard him was probably Dave Lee Roth, 86. Yep. Right. And then uh, really, that didn't last too long. We'll talk about that a little bit. But here's a guy who's really kind of been behind the scenes. And I think that's why he's a little bit underrated, because there's nothing really ever on a marquee that says Billy Sheehan, if that makes sense. And he's got some solo stuff. Yeah. And all that. But it, it was so far later in his career that he just didn't get his like name out there. So his name has been out there, I guess, organically and in the musician circles and in the folks that love the music that we love. But you ask somebody on the street or a bunch of kids in band who Billy Sheehan is, they probably don't have a clue. No, it's really only the musicians that know who Billy Sheehan is, right? If somebody said, yeah, you know, uh, Mr. Big, they had that one big hit or two big hits or whatever it was, they would know that band just by those hits. But I don't think they would ever tie that to Billy Sheehan, right? Yeah, and even with my son who picked up the bass and started playing bass, he fell in love with what Steve Harris was doing. So he was all over Iron Maiden, and that kind of led him to TSO because it was very similar type, like big music, and he liked it, and it was complex. But then when he first heard Billy Sheehan, he liked Billy, 
But he saw Billy as a, I don't know if he can do that. Like he's doing a lot of stuff with his bass and I'm just trying to learn the bass. And he's so far past me that I don't quite understand what he's doing. And there's no music that I can read that has what he's doing on it, right? Because Billy's not exactly, you know, uh, I guess classically trained, or at least he's not playing in a classical way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, for the longest time in the early years, when Billy was just first getting established, I mean, he was becoming known as the Eddie Van Halen of bass guitar. And uh, that's how a lot of people looked at him in those really early formative years. We'll get into a little bit about Billy's history. We'll share some music from Billy's career as we get into all this. But before we do all of that, you know, we got to do this. It's time for the Crank It Up Music Spotlight. Okay, so tonight's Crank It Up Spotlight has to come from who else? Billy Sheehan and the Winery Dogs. We're going to share a track off of the latest Winery Dogs record, Winery Dogs 3. That's a creative name. What is it with all the bands naming their albums after numbers? What do we have? Winger 7, Extreme 6, Winery Dog 3. Am I missing anything else from this year yet? Well, then you got like Chicken Foot 3, but it was their second album. (laughs) You got, I think, Restrain named their album 2, but it's their third album. Like, there's weird shit, too. So some of these guys don't even know how to count. Yeah, and this makes you happy, Hollywood, because you're all about the numbers, right? That's right. This is easy, (laughs) simple. Go for it. All right. So the Winery Dogs, Richie Kotzen, Mike Portnoy, and... Billy Sheehan. Check out this track called Rise from Winery Dog 3. New Winery Dogs. Of course I love it. Great pace to this song. Billy's basically going off the entire song. The song is basically who the Winery Dogs are. Dead on. A lot of earworms. It's a little bit different melody than you normally hear because you got three guys, you know, kind of showing off, but they're showing off in unison. And it's great melodic hard rock with like a Richie Cotson type feel if you're a Richie fan. So I like the song. I like the album. And the album has a shot to make my top 10 this year. So if you liked the last album, Hot Streak, there's really no reason to not like this new record. And this song could have came off a Hot Streak. It's no different. Yeah, I think if you like any Winery Dog, you really should like all three records because they're all three sort of in the same vein. The one thing that the Winery Dogs do really well that I like is as much noodling and technical playing that goes on around the song within the song itself. They do a really good job at a pre-chorus and a chorus a lot of times of sort of smoothing out that crazy chaotic playing that goes on around it, if that makes sense, and bringing it to what you would say those earworms. To me, that happens a lot in Winery Dogs music, and I really like that. Rise, to me, is sort of like a uh, maybe a sister or cousin to Elevate a little bit. 
Yeah, and I think the earworms, a lot of them come from Richie being kind of a jazz player too. So they do all the crazy, then they usually kind of slow it down during the verses. Well, because Richie's got to sing it live too, so he can't be crazy the entire time. But then, you know, that like all those kind of weird jazz blues things that you would hear in that type of music ends up in this type of music because, well, both Richie and Mike like jazz. So that's what kind of makes the whiny dogs a little bit different. There you go. Roz from Winery Dogs 3. Like what you're hearing? Share this episode out. Post it to your favorite social network and let people know you're listening to the Growing Up Rock podcast. It will help us grow and we greatly appreciate it. Okay, so let's talk Billy Sheehan. We'll do a quick history lesson here first. William Roland Sheehan, a.k.a. Billy Sheehan, probably known as Snookums to his mama, who knows, <laughs> was born on March 19th, 1953. So yes, that means he is 70 years old this year in Buffalo, New York. Billy's played with Talis, Steve Vai, David Lee Roth, Mr. Big, Niacin, the Winery Dogs. There is an endless list of who Billy has played with. He's kind of known for his lead bass playing style. So, you know, kind of chord stuff, two-hand tapping, three-finger picking. Like, there's a lot of things going on that you would normally hear a guitar player do, and that's kind of how Billy approaches the bass. Billy's been voted best rock bass player five times in Guitar Player's Reader Polls in the Rolling Stones' 50 Greatest Bassists of All Time article, which included Duff McKagan at number 49, my son's favorite bass player, Esperanza Balding at 45, Tony Levin at 42, Les Claypool was at 36, this is out of 50, Lemmy was at 33, Sting was at 32, Cliff Burton was at 25, Geddy Lee was at 24, Flea was at 22, Geezer Butler was at 21, John Paul Jones was at 14, McCartney was at 9, Jack Bruce was at 6, Carol Kay was at 5, Bootsy Collins was at four. James Jamerson, who's part of the famous Motown rhythm section, was at number one. You didn't hear Steve Harris on that list, and Billy Sheehan was not on that list. It just goes to show you that probably the greatest bass player in any genre in my lifetime doesn't make the fucking Rolling Stone top 50. Whatever, Rolling Stone. Fuck you. Oh, fuck you, fuck you. Billy's first full-time band was Talis, Power Trio from New York. Band played a mixture of cover songs, original material, all three guys sang lead vocals. So it was very much, you know, Rush-like triumph, I guess you would call at some points. They didn't really get any national exposure until 1980 when they opened like 30, 35 shows for Van Halen. But then kind of died a quick death, and we'll talk about why in a few minutes, but it just didn't last. So Billy goes from that to David Lee Ross' solo band for the next couple of albums, mid-80s to late-80s, and then goes on to Mr. Big, where he's made most of his bones. Mr. Big, as we all know, is on their final run right now, and he's been there the entire way. Billy's currently, I would say, live active bands, the most active ones anyway, are Mr. Big, Sons of Apollo, and the Winery Dogs. If for some reason it matters to you, Billy's been an active member of the Church of Scientology since 1971. I don't know if that matters to anybody. And if you care, he lives with his wife in Nashville, Tennessee. He does a lot of interviews, but he's never in the drama. You don't ever hear a person that doesn't like Billy personally. You just don't hear that. I've heard he shows off too much. I've heard he's not like in the pocket groove player and he's a rhythm section guy and needs to stick in his lane. I've heard that kind of shit. But I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that they hate Billy personally. I've never met the man, but he seems like the nicest guy ever. I've met him once or twice. He was fine. He was nice to me. I have no bad stories or anything like that. It seems to me that he does absolutely stay out of the drama of it all. But it seems to me that part of the tiff in Mr. Big was with Eric and Billy. I may be wrong. But that seems like what I had heard in the past was that was part of the issue. I don't remember hearing what specifically was the issue, but do you know anything about that? Yeah, it's, you know, you go out there, you live months and months and months and months with the same guys. You're on tour. These guys, you know, they're not Van Halen or Motley Crue. They're not flying everywhere. They're not living in luxury, right? Even in Mr. Big, they're not doing that. So it can be a grind. Eric's a joker. He will tell you he's a joker. 
Eric's great. I love Eric, but he can be, you know, needler, a little bit of a sarcastic guy. Just kind of keep needling, keep needling, keep needling. And Billy was over it. Billy's like, fuck, grow the fuck up. Like Billy's probably 15 years older than Eric, 10 to 15 minimum, I would think. So things I've heard without going too much into it is Eric's needling kind of got to Billy a little bit and Billy's like, all right, I'm done with you. That's it. But obviously nobody did anybody's woman. Nobody, you know, really punched anybody. Nobody hurt anybody's family. They got back together years later. I mean, Billy sent Eric's son a base for his birthday, kind of, you know, the olive branch and then bam, they're back together. So I think they kind of found out that Eric's not going to change who he is. Billy's not going to change who he is. And they're probably fine for spurts at a time, but you can't be together 24-7. And Billy doesn't want to do just one thing anyway, so what's the difference? Well, let's face it. When Mr. Big became a band, Billy was the name in that band. Sure, Paul yeah. Gilbert had a name as a musician. Eric Martin had uh, some previous experience, too. But Billy was the biggest name in that band at the time, right? Because he was coming fresh off of uh, David Lee Roth. Yeah, and it just depended on what part of the country you were in, right? I happened to be in the part of the country where Eric's name was pretty big because he was from there, right? But if you were in you know, Ohio in 1989, you don't know who the hell Eric Martin is, but you most likely do know who Billy Sheehan is. Yo, yo, yo got a gift, my friend. Yo got a gift. Oh, yeah. God bless you. You got a fucking gift. No, I don't. Yes, you do. I really oh, don't. Yes, you do. All right, so what we decided to do was each of us pick five songs. You know, is it our favorite five songs? Dude, that changes on a dime. We all talk about that. But it's five songs that each of us chose that we felt represented Billy and possibly were part of our lives when we were growing up because, you know, just like you, just just like me, Billy's been part of our life for a long time, right? So I'll go first, and I want to get your take on each of these songs. One of the songs I chose, I just named it number five, because what I did was I picked five songs and then just ranked the five, but I don't even know if they would be my five favorites, so the five are just kind of ranked within themselves. By the way, if I was to pick five favorite Billy Sheehan songs, Talos would never make the list, so I wanted to also spread it out. <laughs> so my first pick was Outside Looking In by Talos. So this is off of 1982, Sink Your Teeth Into That. I have it on a CD called The Talos Years, which is, I think, Sink Your Teeth Into That plus a live album is on that album. Talis Band had some members in and out, but at this point, it's the original three with Billy on bass and vocals, Dave Constantino on guitar and vocals, and Paul Varga on drums and vocals. Dave is singing on this one. When you hear the song, which I'm going to play for you here in a minute, the song fits the time. There's good production. Dave's vocal is fine. Catchy chorus. He's got a great guitar solo. You know, Billy's bass is tearing it up, but it's not overbearing. If the song makes it on radio, it probably has a shot. And uh, so just take a listen here. Outside Looking In by Dallas. Okay, so I'm 100% there with you. Talis was the first time that I ever heard of Billy Sheen. I got Sink Your Teeth Into This on cassette. Like When it came out in the music store, I read something about Talis, so I picked up the cassette. I remember sort of liking this cassette, 
when I first got it, but I haven't heard this cassette in ages. And I keep saying cassette. Of course, all of it's digital now, so I got it on CD at this point. So this episode prompted me, obviously, to go back and listen to this. I'm 100% there with you. No Talus ends up making my list if I'm picking my favorite Billy Sheen stuff. It was a little bit of a tough listen. I do think this is one of the better songs on the CD, but there's some stuff on there. It's just... I don't even know if it's of the time. I guess it's of the time, but it's just not a great... I mean, there's not a bunch of great songwriting on this record, in my opinion. Out of the batch, uh, you picked one that I would pick. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, most of the songs... And I'm sure Dave Costantino's a great guy. I don't know Dave. I don't know anything about Dave. All I know is when I listen to Talis and I hear Dave's guitar and I hear Dave's vocal, the guitar doesn't live up to the priest that was coming up, the maiden that was coming up, the kiss that was happening, the Zeppelin that just happened. But then the vocal doesn't, you know, pop disco. It doesn't pop pop. It doesn't compare to the Halfords of the world. So he's a fine guitar player. And I mean, he plays guitar better than I do. I don't even know how to fucking play. But if he's going to compete with the folks that are around in 79, 80, 81, vocally and guitar playing, he's adequate. But there's nothing special about the band, so it doesn't surprise me that these guys didn't get off the ground. No, they just strike me as another club band. I mean, they were a Buffalo club band, you know, trying to make it. They had some original music and a bass player that, you know, stepped out in front where in that time period, it was always the guitar player stepping out in front. The bass player decided to step out in front instead. Outside Looking In is an okay song by Talis, but there's no surprises there in terms of the band why weren't they bigger no surprises at all and i think it's worth mentioning that recently talus released a new album like i guess they had material in the vaults or something and decided to finish the material and put out a new album so like in the last six months and i listened to that and it was okay but everything i just said about them i could say about angel Mm -hmm. i could say somewhat about molly hatchet Of course. I mean, there's no doubt. They needed to be part of Thanking the Greats because it is part of Billy's history. In fact, it's the reason why I knew who Billy Sheehan was early on, because if he wasn't in Talos, I wouldn't have heard of him So, uh, until much later. My greatest accomplishment, uh, statistically, it is really the best. Number one single, platinum records, uh, sold out shows uh, all over the world. Uh, quite amazing. So I've done other things that I like, and we all do. We all do other things that are fun and cool and enjoyable. But Mr. Big, for me, is uh, is just the, the greatest thing that's, that's happened to me in my life musically. And it's taken me more places than anything else. And I can be in a bar in uh, Sydney, Australia, and sort of, what band are you in? I think, uh, that was a southern accent, not Australian. <laughs> what band are you in? Uh, mate. <laughs> mate. I go, Mr. Big, I, I don't I don't know the band. I go, I'm the one. Oh, my God. And everybody comes over. You're the guy. You know, so we uh, that song took us all around the world. It was our passport to travel everywhere. And mm-hmm. people know it and no matter where we go. And that's just an amazing, incredible thing. All right. So the next song I picked, Colorado Bulldog by Mr. Big off of 1993's Bump Ahead record, which is their third studio album. If you've never heard Colorado Bulldog, the pace of this song is awesome. Again, there is tons of earworms. Paul Gilbert, Pat Torpy, and Billy are literally on fire on this song. The song kills live. It is so fun. Eric sounds great. His soulful vocal fits Mr. Big and this song so well. Check out a snippet of Colorado Bulldog.
losing all control Playing a little game of cat and mouse I popped the question I've been lonely much too long Yeah great lead off track from uh, bump ahead it's up there i will say bump ahead for me is when i started sort of not being as into mr big like i really enjoyed the first two records a lot but with bump ahead that was kind of a step back for me but colorado bulldog i think is a great kickoff track yeah and i think by the time you get to bump ahead with mr big my guess is paul especially is looking at it going okay we've had a number one hit We've had a couple of good records, but guys, like the music we're doing, this is not the only music I do. Like I can do different stuff. So can we expand a little bit on what we're doing here? Right. So I can imagine that that happened a little bit because, you know, somebody like that talented guy doesn't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over. And I'm sure Billy was in the same boat. I'm sure Eric probably wasn't. And Pat was along for the ride. Right. So I can imagine the crack show a little bit because you have a little bit of success, but you got too much talent that just doesn't want to sit on the success. Right. So, um, but I love the song. Okay. So the next song I picked is actually off of one of Billy Sheehan's solo records. So off of 2005's record called Cosmic Troubadour, there's a song that I picked called The Lift. So what you're going to hear is Ray Luzier on drums, Simone Cello on what's called extra guitars, which I'm thinking is probably lead guitar. Billy is doing everything else. So Billy's going off on this song. Okay. It's Billy Solo. Dude, it's expected. If you didn't think Billy was going to go off on a Billy Solo album, you're nuts. The vocal is good. Billy is not a late singer, but he can sing. Unlike some of our other bass and guitar heroes that tried it, but weren't really lead singers and honestly couldn't really sing that good. And if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, grab the nearest Ace Frehley record and you understand what the hell I'm talking about. Okay. So <laughs> Billy's not Pavarotti. But take a listen. It's a great song, and Billy sounds fine. The Lift. Yeah, this one was a little bit of a tough listen for me. <laughs> I wasn't sure who was singing on it uh, because I didn't have any information on this. I knew it was his solo record. I didn't hate it, but it definitely just didn't do much for me. I thought it was okay. My next pick is an instrumental. It's called NV43345, and it was done in 82 on the Sinker Teeth record uh, by Talis, technically, but it's just Billy doing kind of his... I guess Eddie Van Halen eruption on bass kind of thing. So this NV43345, if you write it out and you turn it upside down, it actually spells Sheehan. I'm sure that is on purpose. It's two minutes and 22 seconds. Yes, it's an instrumental, and I can already hear it. But geez, Sonny, you said you hate instrumentals. I would tell you in most cases I do, but first of all, it's Billy Sheehan, so he gets a pass. Second, it's not boring. Third, it's a bass, which makes it a little bit different, and Bring on the haters is 10,000% better than anything Cliff Burton put on those fucking Metallica albums. Okay, so send the hate mail. I don't give a shit. Just take a listen at what Billy's doing here. It's awesome. It gives Billy a chance to show what he could do without having to overly impact some of the Talis songs because there wasn't a Paul Gilbert with him to come along. So this was his way to show the world what he can do. NV43345. Take a listen. Thank you. 
Yeah, I think you nailed it by saying this is the uh, base equivalent to eruption. That's exactly what it was. And you'll notice that even on the uh, Talus record, it's like the third track on the record. So even the placement of it, you know, it's what you would expect from the equivalent of eruption on bass. Uh, it's good. I remember hearing it when I first got this cassette and thinking, man, that's pretty cool, you know, because nobody else did it at the time. There weren't a whole bunch of bass solos out there or rock bass players. You weren't talking about rock bass players in 80, 81, 82, talking about guitar players. It was the era of guitar gods, so to speak. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. All right, so let's get into my five. It's interesting to me when we do these series on Thank of the Greats, how you and I both approach the songs that we pick for it. I like to try to give a fair sampling of that artist's career, whether it's a producer, a writer, a musician, whatever it is. So I like to try to cover most of the periods of that artist career with this particular artist i did that but i also sort of went the opposite direction because billy is such a out front bass player and just a virtuoso at bass i wanted to go the other way with a lot of the songs that i selected and saying well to me the most important thing about a great bass player is that they hold the groove. They hold the pocket down. You know, it's great that Billy can hold his own with guys like Steve Vai and Tony McAlpine and Paul Gilbert and all those guys. It's fantastic, right? He's an incredible bass player, but it's what he doesn't do in songs that I think is also fantastic. So some of the songs I selected have really just great bottom end grooves to them and we'll get into some of those but we'll start off with much like Sonny Billy's start of his career with Talis and I chose another song off of sink your teeth into this and the song is called never see me cry check out a snippet of this one
Yeah, so I was listening to this the other day, and uh, of course, the Talus stuff isn't on Spotify. So I go to uh, some of it's on that CD that I have, but I didn't happen to have the CD with me. So I go to YouTube, and I forgot that there's several covers for the Sink Your Teeth record, but one of the covers is a, like a sexy woman's tongue <laughs> going to lick the guy's eye. It's very disturbing. It's sexy and disturbing, which is a little weird. Um, all right, the song. The song's good, but like I said before, it's just nothing super special. Like, there's no way this makes the radio. I wouldn't turn it off, but I wouldn't seek it out either. It's just another example of this is why Talos wasn't big. No, and it's literally the track right after Outside Looking In. These are two of the more, what I would say, kind of AOR, straight ahead, hard rock tunes on the record. To me, they're the better songs on the record. Like I said, I just don't think that record's all that strong. Uh, listening to it now in 2023 but you know the record came out in 1981 something like that all right so my second song comes to us from the winery dog's second album hot streak and i have always loved this tune this was my favorite song when i first got this record it's probably my favorite song on the record today because it's different than what the winery dogs normally are where the winery dogs like to noodle and go to town and just all this brilliant playing all over the place. This song is sort of much more groove oriented to the vest. Like it's the closest thing that the winery dogs are ever going to do to something like ACDC. It just has a really, really fat groove to it. I love the melody line to it. I love Billy's playing and his breakdown right before the guitar solo in this song. It's just, I dig this song. Check out a snippet of Captain Love. One of my favorite lyrically written lines ever. I'm 45, but I'm 18 in the clutch. Yep. One of my favorite Winery Dog songs for sure. Just like you said, great groove. Hell, this is basically danceable. This song absolutely kills live. I just got goosebumps telling you that. We saw it live here, what, six months ago. And when they did this song, man, the house, when you could hear a pin drop. It, the song just absolutely smashes live. It is one of my favorite Winery Dog songs, and it's and it's so much different than what they are for the most part, right? You agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Because well, Hot Streak, the actual song Hot Streak, is a lot more Winery Doggy, if that makes sense. <laughs> this one it has a lot more groove to it, and it's a lot more of a song song. Yeah, I agree with that. So we go from there to Billy plays in a lot of musician-oriented bands. I would consider the Winery Dogs a musician-oriented band. This next band, absolutely a musician-oriented band, and that's Sons of Apollo. Sons of Apollo consist of Billy. It consists of Just Scott Soto on vocals. You got Bumblefoot on guitar, and you have Mike Portnoy on drums, and you have Derek Sherinian on keyboards. This song for me is their absolute best attempt at perfect strangers, period, deep purple. The keyboard at the beginning of this song is so freaking thick and sounds so massive. I absolutely love that sound of that keyboard at the beginning. And then when the guitar and the drums and the bass and everything just kicks in, it's a massive 
wall of sound to me. And it sends my hair flying up. I just absolutely love this song. The groove in this song is fantastic. There's nothing I don't like. It's hands down my favorite song on this debut Sons of Apollo record. And it's called Divine Addiction. Check out a little snippet of this one. on this song i'll hear especially fans of music that don't normally listen to our kind of melodic hard rock right they're either into country or they're into the pop stuff or they're into the gangster rap or whatever they're into what you'll hear from that group sometimes is all the guitar playing sounds the same it's just a bunch of notes and people trying to go fast and blah 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 here's a perfect example of unplug bumblefoot and put in richie kotzen and this band completely changes Everybody else can be the same, but you change Richie's guitar playing style for Bumblefoot's and the the band is completely different. It just shows Billy's versatility. I love that guitar tone at the beginning that Bumblefoot's doing is immediately engaging. First of all, you picked the Jeff Scott Soto and Richie song back to back, so I'm happy anyway. I would say Psychotic Symphony isn't exactly one of my favorite Jeff Scott Soto albums, but this song's pretty cool. I have really not gone back to the Sons of Apollo records because it's really not my bag. And that's okay. It's okay because the Jeffs of the world and the Richie Cottons of the world and the princes of the world, they just do so many different kind of things that it's impossible to love it all. As long as Jeff's making money, he happy. It doesn't really matter technically, but I don't usually go back to this record because it's a little too musiciany and almost progressive to me. Well, it is absolutely a progressive band, and I would agree with you in terms of I don't go back to this record a whole lot, but I will go back to this song because I love this song. Like, I would love to hear an album of this. It's easier for me to digest a song like this than it is, you know, one of the other massive epic tunes that are on this record. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Look at all the people here tonight! Oh man, I got to make an announcement right here. Can you hear me out there? It's time to take a quick break in the action from this week's episode. Sonny and I just wanted to thank all of you, the listeners, for joining us each and every week. Whether you just found us today or have been listening for multiple episodes, we love your passion for music and rock and roll in general. We consider you all part of our loud minority family. Always remember you can communicate with us a few different ways. If you don't mind Facebook, head over to the Growing Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group and be part of the conversation. It's a private group and all you have to do is ask to join, answer a few rock and roll questions, and you're in. If you despise Facebook, which many people do, then send us an email to growinguprock at gmail.com. We get everything there. You can follow us on Twitter and Insta at Growing Up Rock, which is one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. In the event you feel entertained by our podcast, we would appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode and go leave us a five-star review either at Apple Podcast or Podchaser. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program.
So we've gone from Talos to Winery Dogs to Sons of Apollo. And next up, we're going to hit some Mr. Big. And I don't know that this is a deep track, but it's one of my favorites. I just really, really love this tune. Check out a little bit of Wind Me Up off the debut Mr. Big record. I've always loved this song. The debut Mr. Big record, Desert Island for me. Eric sounds great. The band sounds great. Billy sounds great, obviously. I saw these shows during the tour cycle. They were awesome live. The only thing that's wrong with anything during this era was the headlining band. Besides that, everything about this song was great because Mr. Big opened the tour. So, yeah, wonderful. You're talking about a Rush. Yeah, they did it twice. <laughs> they went out with Rush two separate times on two separate cycles. I'm like, fuck it, just pick anybody else. And I would be happy. Musicians like hanging out with musicians, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I absolutely love this debut record uh, from Mr. Big. And I'm super psyched because they are coming through my town on this final tour. And I did secure my tickets. And it's in a nice small venue of 500 people or less. So I am down for the count on Mr. Big in, I don't know, when is that? January or something. I think that show is going to be so super psyched about that. Hi, I'm Brian Cranston, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network. So like we said before, it's, you know, is this our five favorite Billy songs? If it was, I'd pretty much stick with Daily Roth and Mr. Big and Winer Dogs. I wouldn't pick anything else. But for what I picked in these five songs, this was my favorite out of the five, and it's got an interesting story to it. So the song, I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce this right, is called Metamorphose. So it's M-E-T-A-M-O-R-P-H-O-Z-E, and it's technically by Richie Kotzen. Uh, Sheehan plays bass on this. It's off a album that was released in 2006, and depending on who you believe, the album is called either Isenshi, it's either called ZXR, or is called Soldiers of Sorrow. The reason nobody can really tell any of this shit is because it's a Japanese release. So basically, the words of music are written by some Asian guy named Gakt, G-A-C-K-T, and it's arranged by Richie. Now, if you go look up Metamorphose by Gakt, you get a completely different song that's not in English. And the reason Richie did this is the franchise Gundam, approached Richie to do a full album so they could use English stuff for their English-speaking markets. Do you know what Gundam is? Uh, is that like uh, Gundam style? <laughs> uh, no, that's something different. So, And plus, I think that guy was Korean, but whatever. Uh, and I'm not even, even sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. My son was into this stuff just for a little bit. It's Japanese military science fiction media franchise. So it features these giant robots, The franchise started in 79, but it's popular. It's got 50 TV series. It's in films. It's in manga. It's in novels. It's in video games. Like in Japan, this one franchise is like 80% of all the entertainment that happens in Japan. It landed in the U.S. like in the mid-90s because now it's in all these different markets. So I'm assuming they knew Richie from Mr. Big. So that's why they probably reached out to Richie. And as you know, Mr. Big is big in Japan. Richie has done well in Japan. Anything Billy does does well in Japan. So they like those American artists that they connect to. Now, get this. Cindy Lauper was supposed to do this, and it's almost like a movie soundtrack type of thing. There's like 10 or 11 songs on it, but the timing didn't work out. She even writes a personal note to all Gundam fans 
in the CD. There's a CD in a Richie Kotzen CD. There's a note by Cindy Lauper apologizing she couldn't do the album. Just so weird. That's because those Japanese would get mad at her. She didn't apologize. They appreciate that kind of thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, probably, I guess. As far as the song goes, super rockin'. The production is basically like arena filling. The chorus is awesome. I could totally picture 20,000 Japanese fans jumping up and down during the chorus as Richie's going on and on and on and on, right? Oh, my God. And the guitars are outstanding this song. Yeah, check this song out. It's Metamorphose by Richie Kotzen, and she is playing bass. Check this out. This is the kind of Rich Cotton that I like. Straight up, groove-oriented, a little bit funky, rocking, all the stuff I like in Rich Cotton song. Good stuff. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like, when you're an Uber fan like me, there's a shit that exists out there that you're like, where is this coming from? <laughs> Especially as it relates to a lot of the Japanese market. I have that, um, somebody gave me like, I don't know, 100 burn magazines and they're all in Japanese and they're from the 2000s, early 2000s. And I've been going through each one of them individually. I even bought some on the cruise with me and just went through them. I can't read anything, but what I can do is look at a lot of the ads and a lot of the ads are in English. You know, a lot of the musicians' names are in English and uh, obviously the pictures are what they are. And then on top of it, you have like tour ads and things like that that are in english and set lists that are in english so i like just looking at a lot of that stuff and i see stuff all the time where it's like so and so and so and so project and i'm like really those two dudes played together like i've never even heard of this uh but it exists there in the japanese market so it's interesting some of the stuff that they get over there in japan hence all the japanese bonus tracks that you get on a lot of the albums yeah, Eat Em and Smile was made the way records should be made. It was made very much the way What If was made, Mr. Big Record. Mm -hmm. uh, we were together in a room, we wrote songs, we got together in a studio, all in the same room. We played together for real, and it was real. And that's, uh, so far, two of the best records I've done, in my humble opinion, Eat Em and Smile and What If, and even uh, Lean Into It. They were all done like that. You know, we're all done together in a room, working it out, figuring it out. Hey, what, what's the what's the guitar part here? Okay, show me. Okay, what's the next chord? Okay, let's do it. Okay, for drums, we're gonna do this. Okay, but on the second half, we're gonna bring it. You know, we just work out the arrangement, figure it out. And so, Eden Smile was very much like that. Uh, me, Steve, and Greg would be down to the basement jamming away and coming up with some ideas. Hey, I got some chords. How about this? You know. Uh, let me try this bass part. And Dave would come downstairs. He'd be upstairs. Like, hey, that was good, man. Sounds like a verse. Now think of a chorus section. He'd run up. We'd do. How about this for a chorus? Yeah, that's cool. And then he'd go write some lyrics to it. And piece by piece, song by song, we did the record that way. It was fun. It was cool. We had a blast. Everybody was friends. Uh, we sat around and told stories and hung out and got to know each other as a band. You know. So we got up on stage. We were together like brothers. It was ideal. All right, so look, you haven't heard it come up yet between myself and Sonny, and it's not because either one of us just 
disregard Billy Sheen's career with David Lee Roth. Of course, we're going to recognize uh, Billy and Dave's albums that they put out. And uh, I'd be crazy if I didn't put this one on it because I absolutely love from the David Lee Roth Eat em and Smile record, Elephant Gun Baby. So you picked Soto, Kotzen, and Vi. You're just playing to me today. I must have done something right when we spent time on the cruise or something. Uh, Billy and Steve Vi just have such chemistry, and Vi is unusual, right? That whole zap of flavor in him, nothing's ever really straight ahead. So you got to kind of have a Billy to be able to keep up with him. And Billy gets a little quick solo in this one before Vi goes completely the fuck off. This is one of my favorite Eat Him and Smile songs. Yeah, I've always loved this tune. I love the riff in it. I love the pace of it. It's just, and when it breaks into that riff and then it goes into just the bass part, he's playing that with his fingers, man. And he is going off. That is at light speed, but that is not picking. He's doing that with his fingers and it's amazing. Hey, Hollywood, you know what time it is. Let's connect it to Kiss. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world. For the Kiss Connection, we're actually going to go with an ACDC cover. So from an album called Thunderbolt, a tribute to ACDC, here is John Karabi on vocals, who's got a connection to Kiss through Union and Bruce Kulik, Bob Kulik on guitar, Obviously has a kiss connection. We've talked about that plenty. You got Pat Torpy on drums and you got Mr. Billy Sheehan on bass with their version of the ACDC classic Shake a Leg. Yeah, so I loved reading some of the um, comments in YouTube on this song. (laughs) One of the comments said something to the effect of, why do metal musicians always try to metal up ACDC? It doesn't need to be metaled up. (laughs) I found that pretty hilarious. Uh, Other things said, you know, said it was a decent attempt uh, that uh, Brian Johnson doesn't need to be duplicated, things like that. But look, I thought it was a decent cover. John Karabi really managed to get raspy on this uh, this song much more than his normal bit. I like this uh, record as a whole. There's some good stuff on uh, Thunderbolt. Yeah, Karabi's almost too screechy for me on this song. I wish it would have kept that a cleaner, but that's fine. 
but I can understand what people are talking about. I get it. Angus Young is who he is. Why are you trying to meddle this up? What they're really trying to say is, why are you trying to noodle it up? Because Bob is absolutely killing it on guitar, and he didn't stop any point during the song. Like, you would have thought he was Steve Vai, right? Because he just kept going, kept going, kept going, no matter what the hell was going on. And Pat and Billy definitely were not doing like just the ACDC slow kind of plotting groove. There's none of that. And so I understand what people are talking about. Why are you trying to like basically complicate ACDC? I got you. Let me ask you this. Do you think if guys like uh, Bob Kulik, and, and I'm guessing that this was probably one of those Bob Kulik tribute records, which is why he played on it. But do you think when guys like Bob know that they're playing on a tune with somebody like a Billy Sheehan that they maybe overplay or overextend or try to play up to the people that they're playing with? Uh, history is riddled with playing up to your competition. And Bob, you want to talk about somebody who was underground that nobody knew. That guy was trying to prove who he was his entire life. So there's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, good point for sure. One of my favorite covers on this Thunderbolt record is the uh, Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be. I think Zach Wild's on it. Yeah. He sounds fantastic on that song. I think he sings it and plays guitar on it. Yeah, it's a good cover. Yeah! All right, so to wrap up the Billy Sheehan part of the conversation, here's what I'll say. Billy's been a part of my life since I was 16 years old. I've probably listened to everything he's done at least once. I've not loved everything that he's done, but I've listened to everything he's done at least once. I've never met the man, like I said before, seems like the nicest guy ever. I've seen him live with Mr. Big, David Lee Roth, and the Winery Dogs many times. My whole family has seen the Winery Dogs a few times now. Nicole knows who Billy Sheehan is. I talk about him so much. Obviously, my son knows because he's a bass player. Billy, if you're listening, all I can say is thank you for being a part of my life for the last 38 years. Thanks for all the art that you've provided my personal ears. And just know that no matter what the fuck Rolling Stone says, you are definitely deemed one of the best bass players in music history. What say you? I say thank you, Billy, for all the great music that you've shared with us over the years and probably will continue to share for the years to come. We appreciate you. That's why you're part of this episode. There's a fantastic, famous picture out there of you and a long-haired Stephen Michael. And by famous, I mean it's only famous to me because I'm the only one that got it. And I'm the only one that knows who the other guy in the picture is. <laughs> so, that, so that's why it's famous to me. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you. Uh, I've met you on a few different occasions. You've always been great to me. And like I said, your music does the talking for you. Nobody cares what Rolling Stone says. Keep doing what you do. See you in January with Mr. Big. Thanks, Billy Sheehan. Thank you, listeners. Anything else you need to add, Mr. Pooney, before we get up on out of here from the Thanking the Great series, Billy Sheehan. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you got some ideas on who should be a great that we should thank, send it to us. We might read it. Yeah. Let us know who the next Thanking the Great needs to be, like it says. All about the individuals that created a bunch of music for us that we loved over the years. That's it. Till next week. See ya. Later. That's the show. So let's shuffle, rattle, and roll us out of here. Until next week. Always remember, peace, love, and rock and roll.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.